2: I'm Kai Wright, host of WNYC's podcast, The United States of Anxiety. This season, we're focusing on gender and power, themes that are upending the 2018 elections. On the Politics Brief podcast from WNYC, you get the best of our political coverage with segments from my show, as well as from The Takeaway, The Brian Lehrer Show, and On the Media, plus local reporting on New York and New Jersey races from our award-winning newsroom. Welcome to Politics Brief from WNYC.
3: It's the Brian Lehrer Show on WNYC. Good morning again, everyone. Now, issue 29 in our fall election series, 30 Issues in 30 Days, where we dive deep on one issue a day until the midterm elections which today is just five days away. If you don't know who's on the ballot in your district, especially for Congress and New York State Senate, find out who they are and decide who you support. Today the issue is one of the biggest, income inequality, America's wage gap. After adjusting for inflation, wages are only 10% higher as of 2017, than they were in 1973, with annual real wage growth just below 0.2%, according to the Brookings Institution, and that's in spite of unemployment at an all-time low. The economy as a whole has grown so much more than wages, resulting in big concentrations of wealth near the top of the economic pecking order, wage stagnation for so many more Americans. It's a defining issue that has contributed to the rise of both Donald Trump and democratic socialism. The demographics of earnings remain fractured in this country along gender and racial lines as well. Households headed by a black person earn on average a little more than half of what the average white households earn. And in terms of median net worth, white households are about 13 times as wealthy as black households, a gap that has grown wider since the Great Recession. That's according to the Pew Research Center. But in the past couple of months, Reports coming out of the Labor Department revealed that for the first time in a long time, wages are creeping up, rising 2.9% in the last year. That is the biggest increase, not adjusted for inflation, since the year that ended in September 2008. Those numbers, coupled with the low unemployment rate, have Republicans booming with pride about the economy. Here's Louisiana Senator John Kennedy on Fox Business this month.
1: I am so happy for the American people. Our wages are, are going up. They are. Taxes down, 4 million new jobs. Last quarter we had 4.1% growth. We're deregulating the economy. I mean, this is what America deserves. Stay that.
3: Obviously, Democrats are a bit more measured, claiming that with inflation, the reported increase in wages are not enough. Here is House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi.
1: The problem is, is wages are stagnated. And that is the problem. You would think that if wages, uh, if unemployment is down, that wages would go up.
3: So here with me now for a debate on how Americans are doing with wages, who's to blame for the inequalities in them, and who's to thank for any improvements are Dean Baker, American macroeconomist and co-founder of the Center for Economic and Policy Research In Washington, D.C., and Stephen Moore, chief economist for the Heritage Foundation and author of Trumponomics Inside the America First Plan to Revive Our Economy. He has also been an advisor to President Trump. So, Dean Baker and Stephen Moore, welcome back to WNYC. Thanks Thanks
0: for having
3: me. Um, So, President Trump keeps saying black and Latino and female unemployment are the lowest they've been In decades, even 50 years, can each of you argue to what extent you think that's a a meaningful stat, a way to measure uh, the economic success of Trump and the Republican Congress? Stephen Moore, you want to start?
2: Sure. Uh, Look, I mean, I think it's hard to find any economic measure today that isn't positive. The most recent one, Brian, being the uh, the increase in consumer confidence, which just hit an 18-year high, which is a nice way of saying Americans feel a lot better about the direction of the country than they have in a long time. Um, You know, the unemployment rate is an interesting one you bring up because I'm one of these people who actually thinks you know one of the problems with the economy right now is the unemployment rate may be a little too low. If people ask me, can this economic boom continue where we have have, you know, had 4% growth now for the last couple quarters. And I think one of the constraints is we're literally running out of workers, Brian, where we have 7 million more jobs than we have people who are qualified to fill them. And so, you know, I'd like to see more people entering the workforce. That might actually mean a tick up in the unemployment rate, but it would uh, it would uh, mean a lot more of these jobs filled and, and uh, a lot more people earning a paycheck.
3: That would sound like an argument for immigration, by the way, not to digress too much yeah, into I'm, that.
2: I'm in favor of that. You are. Um,
3: Talk talk to your president. But uh, Dean Baker, how do you see that stat? The president cites it a lot. Unemployment among African-Americans and Latinos and women uh, so far below recent historical averages. How do you put that stat in
0: context? Yeah, a couple uh, points. First, just to correct Steve here, if we didn't have enough workers, we'd be seeing more rapid wage growth. We're not seeing that. That's what happens when you don't have enough workers. Employers compete to get workers by raising wages, and we're not seeing that. But, you know, if you want to ask me about where the economy is now, the low unemployment rate, that's a great story. But, you know, let me refer you. I trust you, many of your listeners, watch the fifth game of the World Series. I, I watch a great game. Okay. Chris Salvo came in in the ninth inning, and I'll give him credit—he struck out the sides. That was great. Now imagine him running around going, "Look, I won the game! I won the game! I won!" You know, that was good. He pitched, you know, good inning, and that was important. Story there was David Price pitched seven innings, fantastic innings, just gave up one run, left with a five-to-one lead. That's the story we're talking about. This economy has been growing, has been creating jobs, has been lowering the unemployment rate consistently ever since it turned around under President Obama. And I playing christians with President Obama. We were going the right way, not fast enough, but we were going the right way. He handed off an economy that was very much strong, going in the right direction, and Give President Trump credit. I mean, he didn't totally blow it. Now, I, I mean, he didn't quite strike out the sides, but, you know, he he's sitting there and the economy's continued to grow. Unemployment's continued to fall, and now things look good. So, sure, he didn't mess it up, but what set us on this path? Well, President Obama, his policies were the one that set us on the path, so let's just keep that straight.
3: Stephen Moore, you want to come back on that?
2: Well, Dean has to read my book because <laughs> uh, the whole book is about the the radical change of direction that we put in place, you know, under uh under uh, Donald Trump. In fact, one of the first meetings, you know, we had with Trump, uh Larry Kudlow and I and our laugher, of two, back in January of 2016, you know, asked us what was the most important thing we could do to improve the economy, and we basically said, you know, look at everything Obama has done and just do exactly the reverse. I mean, look, the economy wasn't. The problem with Dean's ar- uh, argument is if you look at the last year that um, that uh, Barack Obama was in pre- president, which was 2016, the economy grew one and a half percent. It was decelerating. It wasn't accelerating. And. You know, the problem with this argument, you know, I'd be, I guess if I were uh, conservative and with the opposite, I'd sort of try to make the argument that Dean is making and that Obama makes, which is, you know, this is the Obama effect. Uh, the problem is we really have almost everything that Obama has did, we've reversed. We, you know, Obama raised taxes, we've cut taxes, Obama increased the regulations, we have repealed a lot of them, Obama got us into the Paris Climate Accord, Trump pulled us out, you know, on and on and on, and... So it's hard to say that Obama deserves credit for something mm -hmm. when we've actually, you know, eviscerated his economic agenda.
3: But if the economy was going on the same upward trajectory... That it's it going, and that's
2: my point. Brian, that's my point. It wasn't. The, when you have, the difference between 1.5% growth and 4% growth is the difference between going 15 miles an hour down the highway and 40 miles an hour down. I mean, there is a difference, Brian, between a recovery, which we did have, and it's been a long recovery, no question. I'll give Obama credit for that. But there's a big difference between a recovery and a boom, and we're in a boom right now.
0: Dean Baker. The economy kind of created 2.4 million jobs from last year of the Obama administration. It was not collapsing. You have cyclical fluctuations. You had a bad quarter in the first quarter of 2017 as well, and we're not in a boom in the sense that, yes, we had a good quarter in the sec- uh, second quarter. We had 4% growth. It slowed to 3.5 in the third quarter. I'm willing to bet you, Steve, we'll be under 3% in the fourth quarter. So we had quarters of above 4% growth during the Obama years as well. Now, the tax cut definitely spurred growth, no doubt about it. You throw a lot of money out there into the economy is for growth. President Obama wanted to put more money into the economy. He wanted to spend money on childcare, on education, on infrastructure. The Republican Congress wouldn't let him. I mean I Steve might not be old enough to remember this. But they yelled deficits, deficits, deficits. We can't do that. The deficit will explode. Now Trump's in the White House. Deficits are fine. Of course, actually, they're not too fine, because Mitch McConnell, the majority leader in the Senate, is saying, oh, my God, we have a big deficit. Where'd that come from? We better cut Social Security and Medicare. So time being, yeah, you put more money in the economy. They gave it to rich people, but they spent some of it. So, you know, they were able to have a temporary boost to growth. It's already slowing down. And, again, if Mitch McConnell gets his way and is able to cut Social Security and Medicare, that will slow it further. So two good quarters. We had plenty of good quarters under President Obama. And again, we had eight years, a very strong growth record after we began began to come out of the recession in 2009. Last year, he handed off an economy where we created 2.4 million jobs. That was not going into the toilet.
3: Listeners, it's Issue 29 in our 30 Issues in 30 Days Fall Election Series. Issue 29 is what to do about income inequality and the wage gap. With Stephen Moore, fellow at the Project for Economic Growth at the Heritage Foundation and author of Trumponomics, Inside the America First Plan to Revive Our Economy, and Dean Baker, macroeconomist and founder of the Center for Economic and Policy Research in Washington, D.C., we can take your questions and comments on income inequality and the wage gap, 212 wnyc 433 nine six nine two let me get to this latest report about wage growth coming from the labor department the percentage increase is a two point nine percent rate of increase in uh, over the last year for civilian workers that means the sum of all private industry and state and local government workers how significant is the increase dean i'll stay with you for this first
0: Well, when you get a tighter labor market, you expect to see wage growth accelerate. And that was happening under President Obama, and it's continued to happen under under Donald Trump. So it's good. I mean, just to be clear, it had been 2.7, 2.8, so it's not like we're seeing some huge jump. And if you go back to the early years, you know, back in the really dark days, 2.9, 2.10, it was growing at about 1.5%. So most of the increase in wage growth occurred under President Obama. The trends continued under President Trump. So again, just to use the yeah. World Series, Chris Salvo came in; he didn't blow the game. Um, President Trump, at least to date, hasn't wrecked the economy, but getting it on a strong growth path—that was that was President Obama who did that.
3: But what and Chris Sale threw those salvos, but the um, the the bigger—I mean, your argument, Dean, seems to be. Obama was on the right track and Trump hasn't messed it up, but there's such a big, serious problem with concentration of wealth at the top, with wage stagnation throughout so much of, you know, the American population for decades now, something more and bigger has to be done, arguably, than even what Obama was doing. Um, Where would you go with that?
0: Well, you know, we've been kind of talking about short-term stories, longer-term stories. We've had a whole set of policies that have shifted income upwards, and obviously Trump makes that worse. I mean, the tax cut, that that gave a huge amount of money, overwhelmingly the richest people in the country. That was supposed to lead to a surge in investment. Investment's been going nowhere. It barely grew in the third quarter. Um, So this is just handing a lot of money to rich people, but that's just part of the story. I mean, we have a totally corrupt corporate governance structure. You had a guy who just got fired at at GE, walked away with tens of millions millions of dollars, imagining tens of millions of dollars after you totally messed up on your job? I mean, that's incredibly corrupt. Longer and stronger patent protections. Bill Gates is one of the richest people in the world because we gave him a monopoly on windows. Um, that that was government policy. Um, our doctors are protected. Our steel workers are not uh, we have an incredibly corrupt financial system that President Obama put in some measures to regulate, and Donald Trump's doing everything he can to allow Wall Street to steal as much money as possible. So there's a lot of longer-term structural problems that have had this had an enormous effect Steve. in redistributing th- income upwards. Obama did some small gestures, I would say. Trump's going completely the other way. He wants to go all the money to the richest people in the country.
3: Steve Moore, same question.
0: Well, a couple things. I mean, I think uh,
2: Brian, in the in the in the name of fairness, I mean, you, I listened to your show and before the election, and you had a lot of a liberal economists on, you know, people like Dean, who said if Brock, if Donald Trump is elected president, it's going to cause you know a second great depression. He's going to destroy the economy, destroy the stock market. Everyone from Larry Summers to Paul Krugman and others, uh, all all made this point that tr- that Trump would be a total disaster for the economy. Now, two years later, we have the best economy in 30 years. And people like Dean are saying, oh, well, that's the Obama effect. I mean, so in other words, it's a, it's a typical kind of double standard by liberals. If the economy's doing well, it's Obama's, uh, you know, that gets the credit. It, Dean wouldn't be saying, you know, it's, if, if the economy collapsed, he wouldn't have said, oh, this is because of Obama. So, you know, you got to give the guy credit. He's been there for two years, and the economy is better than it's been in 30 years. Now, on the wages issue, um, first of all, I'm, I'm glad to see wages are rising. Obviously, I mean, when every conversation I had with Donald Trump, it was always about how do we make the middle class better off working class Americans in places like Pennsylvania and Ohio and Michigan and West Virginia and, and those states that never actually saw recovery under Obama I went to a lot of those places with Trump and when you ask people how's the Obama recovery going for you Brian what people would would roll their eyes and say what recovery are you talking about and by the way this goes back actually to the Bush years too I mean it's been 15 16 years since the average American had a had a pay increase and the only problem I have Brian with with focusing on Wages, and I want wages to go up. But the, what's going on now is it's not just wages. I mean, we just at the Heritage did a study showing the average American, you know, people with fifty, sixty thousand dollars of income have saved two thousand dollars a year on their, just on their taxes. So that's a big deal if you're making fifty or sixty thousand dollars. That's number one. So their after-tax income has has uh, risen. Number two. You look at the bonuses, you know millions of workers got bonuses, and that's not counted in the wage data. And number three, hours worked a lot of them, because we have that tight labor market right now, which is a good thing, and Dean is right, we want to see the reason we wanted to create a tight labor market is so that workers would have more bargaining power and they could, they could ask for wage increases or they could go to a, you know the, the, the store down the street or the employer down the street. If you add all those things, I think workers are, are doing a lot better today than they were two years ago. You're listening to the Politics
1: Brief Podcast. We'll be right back after a break. Each election season, political memoirs abound, doorstops that sometimes divulge more than intended.
2: No matter how diligently they present themselves in the most electable light, they always reveal themselves, their insecurities, their fears, their ambitions.
1: How to read a Politico on this week's On the Media from WNYC. Find On The Media wherever you get your podcasts. Let's take a phone call.
3: Caroline in Montclair. You're on WNYC. Hello, Caroline.
1: Hi, Brian. Um, I, I want to make a comment about this idea of being in a boom economy. I know the economy is doing well, but I think we're more in a balloon economy where stocks are way up, but what goes up must come down. And I do believe that we need to be prepared for when this economy does start to mm-hmm. um, turn around for the, for the negative. Um, I was, you know, I'm a new investor, and I'm seeing a lot of sort of, you know, my international stocks are down. I think that the economy has been hurt by tariffs. I'm concerned. Um, I'm, I'm, I just find... That this constant talking about what Obama's legacy was—we know that he put us on a path to prosperity and economic, and you know, the economy mm-hmm. on a, a forward path.
3: So, Caroline, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it there and get a response um, on the because you covered Obama's legacy earlier. I want to focus on the first part of her question, Caroline, and I think some other people, Dean Baker, are. Concerned that we may be in another bubble, uh, that we may actually be in another housing bubble 10 years after the mortgage crisis, and we may be in a stock market bubble uh, not supported by the fundamentalists. I'm curious briefly how much each of you are concerned about that.
0: Dean? Well, I'm actually not that concerned. I should point out, I was one of the few economists who actually was yelling about the housing bubble back in 2004, 5, 6, and 7. Uh, it was ignored, but whatever. Um, so I, I do have some record here. I also caught the stock bubble in the late 90s. Okay. I'm not that worried about those bubbles. Um, the, the story there is that if you go back to the 90s, the stock bubble was clear. It was easy to see. Stock prices were grossly out of line with fundamentals. And the stock market was driving the economy. We had a wave of kind of Nonsense investment in Internet companies and also record consumption driven by stock wealth. Same story in the last decade. Housing construction was off the charts. How economists didn't see that, I, I don't know. They should have all been fired. I mean, if you're a macroeconomist and you didn't see that bubble, you, you, you're in the wrong line of work. But they didn't see it. Okay, so you look at it today. Housing starts are actually pretty low, and that's a really big problem. Part of that's the Trump tax cut led to higher interest rates, totally predictable. Housing starts are really pretty weak. Um, so that's not driving the economy. Consumption, mm-hmm. uh, the wealth effect from that, yeah. uh, not really okay. that visible. In terms of the stock market, it's high. It's definitely high. You know, I've been telling people, it wouldn't surprise me. It's fallen some, could fall another 5%, 10%. Wouldn't it all surprise me? That won't give us a recession. Yeah. It'll modestly okay. dampen growth. So, Steve, so Steve I'm not worried about f- that scare story. I
3: have a feeling you're going to agree pretty much on this point, yes?
2: You know, I, I, I agree with a lot of what Dean just said. Um, you're right, Dean, that any of these economists and these financial people who didn't see, you know, this uh, housing bubble, you're right, they should be fired and thrown out on the street uh, because, yeah, you know, we had son- <laughs> 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 Ouch. Look, uh, and, and, you know, like most of them got got it wrong on both sides of the aisle. But I will say this, that what worries me, where I differ a little bit with, with Dean O'Brien is, I look at what the banks are doing right now with some of the lending. I mean, and, and, and Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, they're back to their old uh, devious behavior of, of providing, you know, 2 and 3% down payment loans with 100% taxpayer guarantees. Have we learned nothing from the, from the you know, there was a story in uh, Bloomberg the other day about some of these banks, you know, 0% down payment loans, you know, uh, you know, on, on some of these mortgages. That's exactly what got us in the crisis in the first place. Um, by the way, we did, one of the things we tried to do in this tax bill was we wanted more business investment. We want businesses to invest in factories and warehouses and computers and trucks and things like that. So we, we Dean is right, we do, we thought the tax code was way, way, way too favorable towards housing and not as favorable towards, you know, businesses that create jobs, and and I think, you know, we've corrected that.
3: Let's take another call. Tiffany in Middletown. You're on WNYC. Hi, Tiffany.
1: Hi, Brian. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. My question is, earlier the guest mentioned that um, President Trump was reversing everything that President Obama had done, and one of the things that he named was the um, the Paris Climate Accord. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious um, how, what, if he can quantify the impact of to the economy of pulling out of the Paris Climate Accord, and uh, because I think that's an important pe- uh, number for people to know, because I think people need to understand what we are getting today um, that we're going to pay for later. We're, like we're, how much is that worth? That's how I look at right. it. And so I'm curious if he'd like to quantify. Mm-hmm. what um, what the what the financial effect of pulling out of the Paris Climate Accord is?
3: Thank you. We're also not out of Paris, assuming we go through with it until 2020 if I'm not mistaken. so I'm not sure, Stephen Moore, that there would be an economic impact yet, but go ahead and answer Tiffany's question and address that.
2: So I'm glad she asked this, because this is, first of all, guess what country in the world reduced its carbon emissions the most last year? It was the United States of America. And every, every country in the Paris Climate Accord has fallen way short of their targets. So the one country that's not part of the Paris Climate Accord is reducing its carbon emissions, and, and most of the others, by the way, China and India are emitting so much pollution in the air, it wouldn't even matter if the United States existed as a country. Uh, but the second point is, and by the way, the reason we're reducing our carbon emissions, we're using much more shale Gas and that's been the revolution in energy. There's no issue that Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump were more diametrically opposed on than energy policy. We are in the midst of the biggest oil and gas boom in the history of this country. It's creating millions of jobs. Uh, it's in Pennsylvania. It's in Oklahoma. It's in Alaska. It's in Texas, uh, which is great. We're becoming. We're surpassing now Saudi Arabia in oil production, which is a. Uh, really positive thing for the American economy, and and I'm I'm really proud of it, and we're doing it in a way that actually is reducing pollution. Dean Baker. Yeah, uh,
0: this is really something that uh, you're going to have uh, Trump taking credit for carb- reduction in carbon emissions in 2017. Um, that's pretty impressive. I mean, we did reduce carbon emissions These were because of policies that were put in place under President Obama. Um, yes, we are, by the way, we're consuming much less coal, um, good clean coal. Well, that doesn't exist, and we're thankfully consuming much less of that, which means less greenhouse gas emissions. Mileage standards, our cars are more efficient. That's a good thing. Trump's reversed that, so he wants us to have less efficient cars. Um, in terms of you know, the world standards, the, far and away the leader in solar energy is China. They swamped everyone. In fact, China has almost as much. In fact, I think they did put in more solar installations last year than the rest of the world combined. So the idea that we're the only ones doing anything, maybe Donald Trump thinks that, but again, this is kind of his other world reality. The rest of the world is taking serious measures, and we are going to pay enormous a price. A lot of Florida is not going to be there in 50 years if we don't take serious steps on climate change. It might already be too late. Who knows? But
2: that's a serious matter. One quick thing on this, China and India together are building 100 new coal plants. So every time that we shut down a coal plant in the United States, China and India built 10 of them. How in the world is that? Is that they're reducing carbon are putting emissions?
0: putting in a huge amount of solar power. China, they very, are, China, they're, India they're, are still much more reliant on coal than we are. Than we are. Can, on a per-person basis, I trust you know this, Steve, we admit about five times as much greenhouse gases as either of those countries, maybe even ten times if we look at India. So they have a very, very long way to go to catch up in that story. So let's not play games here. You know
2: what? Just the increase in emissions from China last year, Increase, were more than the entire amount of emissions from a, a country like Canada. So the the big issue is whether China and India are going are to do anything about their carbon emissions. They're and so far was. they're doing. Nothing. Look at
0: the data on they're solar doing nothing. installation. They have, they, they're also the world leader in electric cars. Again, they, they're they produce building, more electric cars than the rest building, of the world combined. They're building coal plants everywhere
2: around. In fact, they're importing coal from the United States. They're not using green energy. They're using no, coal. They are. And they're using they, they are,
0: Steve. Don't they you have that information at the White House? What 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 are you on? It's easy to they're, find. They're, Google it on the web. If they're so concerned second, about global warming, why at? are they building 50 coal plants? Because <laughs> they still have a long gap to make up. Right. They have their yeah. their their solar is increasing enormously as a percentage of solar output. You could find that, Steve. Look it up. Come on, this isn't fake so you, news. So you're saying you want to There's put world all these, you, you want to put all the coal workers out of
2: work. You want to put they're the oil workers out of work. they Steve. Steve.
0: They were already out of work before President took no, office. No, they're not. We, still have, a, we
2: still have about hundred thousand coal. I went to these coal 50, towns. They 000, were, Fifty
0: thousand. Fifty thousand. Look it up. Your labor statistics has good data on that. No, because you're what about the
2: trucking jobs and all all the jobs related to the coal the coal miners. <laughs> I, I'm yeah. very pro coal. I'm very pro uh, oil and gas. And by the way, the coal we have today, Dean, is cleaner, much cleaner than it was 10, 20, 50 years ago. We're, we have clean coal. It's greenhouse America. gas
0: emissions. Uh, it isn't. I'm going to
3: jump in here and say <laughs> some conversations slowly wind down to a neat <laughs> ending. Others have to end at the point of crescendo, and this is one of those. So we thank Dean Baker co-founder of the Center for Economic and Policy Research, and Stephen Moore, fellow at the Project for Economic Growth at the Heritage Foundation and advisor to the president and author of Trumponomics, Inside the America First Plan to Revive Our Economy. Thank you both very much for joining us today.
0: Thanks, Brian. enjoyed it.
3: On our 30 Issues in 30 Days election uh, series, Issue 29, Income Inequality. We will finish the series with Issue 30 tomorrow. Tune in to
2: find out what it is. Thanks for listening to Politics Brief. If you want more, go to wnyc.org election.